Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Industry Seating. My name is Jason Thomas. I am your host. It is Sunday, April 25th, and we are one round away from wrapping up this 2021 Monster Energy Supercross Series. It kind of feels like we just got started, but it also feels like it's been a bit of a marathon run here, too. I can certainly remember arriving into Houston, spending that you know, 10 days with uh, Steve Mathis, Jason Wygant in Houston, the, the uh, Airbnb we had. Uh, of course, many of you followed along to the trials and tribulations of that trip, and we did have a great time. So it feels like that was only yesterday, but man, these trips are very long, and they do take, uh, they take it out of you, take a toll. You know, the, there was that trip, then uh, where were we off to next? Um Jeez. Uh, Indy. Yeah. Indy for 10 days, then down to Florida for Orlando for another 10 days, then back for Daytona over to Arlington for 10 days. Then of course the Atlanta, another 10 days for the speedway races. And then now we're at these, these two salt lakes, which there is no Tuesday race, which allowed me and most of the, uh, the world to fly home. There are only a select few people that actually stayed back in salt lake this week. Uh, Steve Mathis being one, before we get into that, let's talk about the sponsors a little bit. Pirelli Tires, Plum Creek Funding, Guts Racing, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, Grandstone Boots, Pro Glow Wash, which we will have the question of the week upcoming, Buenzal Oils, and Fly Racing. So let's jump into Salt Lake 250 class. Man, what a, what a bummer for Christian Craig. You know, Watch practice was there, you know, in the morning. I flew down Saturday morning, which was another story all in itself. Flew down Saturday morning and flew back Saturday night. And I've only done that a few times in my life to make just a round trip for a one-day event. But certainly did that yesterday. And got there, you know, arrived at 7 o'clock. Got over there, got my COVID test done, and helped set up the Western Power Sports and Fly Racing hospitality areas. And was kind of thinking about all morning about how this was going to go. You know, I had heard so many positive things about Christian Craig's break and the pace he had been running at the practice track and how he was kind of ready to hit the reset button here. And if he could win and then possibly find a way to win that showdown, anything was really possible. And it really was kind of playing out that way. For those of you who didn't get to watch a race day live or any of the qualifying sessions, practice sessions, he looked incredible, uh, shot out of a cannon and yeah, just because he didn't have the fastest lap every time visually, he was really impressive and he looked like he was 
the best rider on the track. And I, and I say that with all gravity due to it. He, he just looked like he was the best rider on the racetrack. And then of course, in the, the final session, he has that huge crash and is carted off. And, and I kind of thought it was done right there. I did not expect him to even give it a go, uh, for the first heat race. And we kind of saw how that played out. It wasn't much of an effort and, you know, give him credit for even being willing to go out there because clearly in a lot of pain, he has a, a broken fibula and sprained ankle. It would appear. And yeah, just, uh, an untimely and unkind end to his 2021 monster energy supercross season. And I would be surprised if he's able to make the start of Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. Let's hope so. Uh, but man, a, a month with, uh, you know, a broken bone in your leg seems, seems a bit short. And I, I guess part of that will be, do they have to do any sort of procedure for it? Or is it just, uh, is it nice and, and I should say nice, but is it displaced or not? Right. And, and I've had a broken leg. I had a broken t- uh, tibia and fibula and they had to put a rod in it, which was a really bad deal. But I, I'm hoping for his sake that it's not a situation where it requires surgery, but we'll see. As for Colt Nichols, not a great day. I didn't think he honestly looked all that impressive throughout the day or evening. And I kind of expected more. I had him as my pick to win the race. And I don't know if it was track. I would assume that the pressure was a bit much. Uh, that That's in hindsight. That's kind of what I attributed to is he was riding conservatively. And, and I would bet that was a subconscious, you know, riding conservatively. Because I, I think it's just very difficult in those situations, especially if it's your, your first real run at a championship where you are the, the points leader and, you know, you are in full understanding that any huge mistake will immediately take you out of not only the championship lead, but possibly championship contention, a la Christian Craig. I just think it's difficult to ride carefree and to ride at your best. Now, some people can do it. Some people, that pressure is absorbed and then they use it, uh, to really focus. Uh, I've seen it happen before Grant Langston, 2007 motocross title, Lucas Oil Pro motocross title. He was the opposite. The pressure really, uh, he was able to utilize it and propel him forward. And he made many comments about that afterwards is that pressure affects different people in different ways. And if you can, if you can, take all of that energy because it's, it's either positive energy or negative energy is all that pressure. And if you can use it in a way that, that, uh, that forces you to a hundred percent lock in on the task at hand, then I think it can be a positive and not many people can do that. It, it's a, it's a very challenging aspect of racing. I've really only faced it once in my life and that, well, a couple of times in my life in, in German supercross championships, uh, the second one, especially the first one I, I kind of ran away with, um, I dominated that series and I really didn't feel any pressure at all. And then the second one, um, yeah, I did, I did feel a little bit of pressure going into the last round in Dortmund and it's, it's all encompassing. It's all around you at all times. It's when you wake up in the morning, it's when you're in the shower, it's when you're going riding, you just don't want to hurt yourself. You're, you're always guarding against injury or putting yourself in a bad situation where, the championship can slip away. So to me, that's what it looked like with Colt Nichols was he was just riding kind of in an average, at an average pace for him. Not great, not terrible. He didn't crumble either. He didn't let the pressure overwhelm him, 
but he certainly wasn't taking it and it wasn't pushing him forward. So in the end, he did exactly what he needed to do. Uh, you know, puts in a, a podium ride. It's fine. Nothing to worry about. Got some bonus money. He's set up now to win the championship. All he's got to do is just basically go out and ride around at the, uh, in the showdown this coming Saturday and, and bring home his first title. And for those of you who don't know the economics of the sport as well, right? It's probably worth half a million dollars at the end of the day. Uh, that's at, that's at minimum is, is half a million dollars for him to take home. So not only is it the legacy thing, getting that title is elusive. And for most people, it's a career defining moment, but you know, $500,000, you just take that 500 K and invest it somewhere. That's, that's money that can alter the, the direction of your life forever, right? That's, that's money that he will be able to draw from on an investment level forever. Uh, so kudos to him. That's what, that's what this racing thing is all about and, and dreams being realized for Colt Nichols. Jet Lawrence, not a bad day, but not what I was expecting either. And we're going to get to why, but you know, a second place ride, he did close down the gap to, uh, the Moseman and Shimoda battle, but it just took him a long time and he got a pretty decent start. And I really expected him to go right then and go to the front and assume command of that main event. I really thought it was his for the taking because really in my mind, his main competition or the riders that I thought, or the rider that I thought was his biggest threat was Colt Nichols. And when he looks back and he sees Colt buried, that's your cue to go, right? You should be really enthused and you should get a shot of adrenaline thinking, okay, I, everything's in front of me. I just got to go win now because the, the likely champion, you know, is behind me and he's nowhere really threatening and Christian Craig's out. So those are the two guys I've really had to worry about for most of the series. Let me go ahead and take advantage of this and go, go reel off a win. And he just didn't seem to have the pace. I don't know if he just felt a little bit uncomfortable with the track or maybe you just have to give credit to the other two guys that were in front of him in the moment for having sprint speed or just a better pace than Jet did at the beginning. But he was able to close it down. He wasn't able to get the win. Uh, kudos to Joe Shimoda, which we'll get to. But I, I just left there a, a little underwhelmed with Jet. I just thought that race and that situation with those circumstances, you lose Craig. You know Colt's worried about the title, and that's all he cares about. Those are really good opportunities to go get a win for a guy like Jet, who's super young, and he has speed to burn, and there was no pressure on him. I would just expect him to win uh, with everything set up to do so, and, and he wasn't able to. And It's not it's not an indictment of Jet by any means. Uh, I just, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't expecting him to st- step up in the moment there and go win. Joe Shimoda, he's the exact opposite of that, right? He did everything that I thought was impossible. I did not think Joe Shimoda was ready to win yet. I didn't think the speed was there. I didn't think the endurance the on a psychological level, any of those things. I just didn't think it was there for him. And at the beginning of the race, you know, he's out there winning and I'm in the background concocting a plan for, okay, Moseman's going to get him. Then Moseman probably runs away with this. And then because Jet had fallen back so far, and then that battle between Shimoda and Moseman is shaping up and they're going back and forth. And I'm like, okay, well now they're going to let Jet back into this thing and possibly Colt. And if that happens, then Joe's definitely not winning because now he's got three, in my mind, superior competitors to deal with instead of just one. Well, credit to Joe Shimoda because not only did he find a way to fight off Moseman, 
he held off he held off uh, Jet Lawrence as well. So I give him a ton of credit because he had pressure almost the entire race. You know, most of it was from Michael Mosman, and I'll I'll <laughs> I'll cover Michael Mosman in here in a minute. But to see a a rider that is young like that who hasn't been in the spotlight very much, and that I would consider Joe Shimoda to fit that bill, to be able to withstand an entire main event's worth of pressure without really cracking at all. Uh, he, he didn't, he didn't make any mistakes. I mean, maybe a, a couple close calls here and there, but that's normal. That's just a part of racing on the edge with the, which those guys were definitely doing, but it was a really impressive performance from Joe. You know, he didn't rip away and just ride away with the race, which I think is probably too much to ask from him, but he did, he did enough in the end, right? He got the win an unlikely win when the opportunity presented itself. And that's kind of what I was getting back to with Jed is I thought Jet would be the rider that would step up and get it done. But Joe absolutely did. And I don't think anybody really saw that coming. I mean, Joe has ridden well, but that was a, that was a higher level. And there are, there are circumstances working for him. As I've mentioned in this podcast already, when you get into these late season situations, opportunities pop up. We saw it with Zach Osborne at the finale last year. We've seen it in the past, you know, guys get on the podium, guys get wins in the 250 class that they haven't won all season. You know, Adam Cincerillo won uh, the year that Savachi and Osborne were battling it out for the title and, and Osborne, uh, you know, they made contact there in the, with a couple corners to go. Adam Cincerillo ran away with that main event. That's, that's the kind of thing that happens when these other guys have a different focus. They're thinking big picture and championships and they have all this pressure a rider that has none of those things he's always doing is he's riding loose and just going for broke. You can see those breakout wins happen. And that's exactly what happened for Shimoda. Now, as for Mosman, uh, I like him. He's a very nice kid, but man, that was a, that was a tough effort to really explain just his racecraft there. It was poor. You know, I really felt like he had the pace to win easily if he was able to get around Shimoda and he was not able to do it. And, and not only was he unable to do it, the way he was going about it was, it just wasn't very wise. And, you know, you can point to the fact that he's still young and he hasn't won races and, and that's, that's okay. Like I, I, I can't argue with that. Those are logical points to make, but watching from a distance, you know, I'm standing on the side of the, or in the suite on the stadium there, and I can see the whole track. I see him sizing Joe up and I see him looking for a place to pass. And then I would see him lurch forward to try to make a pass in places that didn't make any sense. And he wasn't close enough to execute the pass. And you just have to be smarter than that. And I think he'll learn from this situation if I was, you know, in his camp, if I was his coach or his parents or whoever he, he looks to for guidance, I would make him watch that race a hundred times until he was so sick of watching that race and so frustrated. Well, you don't want to frustrate him, but learn, learn from it. And I, you know, you would need somebody that, that has been in those moments and understands racing and, and all the, the nuances of it, but where he was trying to make passes and a perfect example I, I haven't watched the race close enough to in going back and watching it to tell you exactly which lap it is, but about halfway through, he goes for a pass before the whoops and there was a, 
an inside and outside line and a, and a five-jump section just before the whoops. Guys were either going inside and going roll, double, double, which was slower, or going outside and going two, three, which was by far the superior line. And I watched it all day and all night and the qualifiers and everything. And the outside was, was simply faster. Well, most of it gets fairly close, but not close enough in my opinion. And he going into the corner before the whoops, he, he cuts across diagonally trying to make a pass on Joe, but he's nowhere near close enough to make a, a block pass that will stick. And you're really looking for a move that's going to stick and you can, sink your teeth into and then make a pass, uh, and move forward. And he kept using these half measures as an approach. And he was never able to seal the deal because everything was ill-advised. Like all the moves he was making, you could see they weren't going to work, you know? And, and I get it. I'm, I'm at an elevated position. I can see these moves unfolding, but every time he would try, I'm like, that's not going to work. That's not going to like, it was just like, I was like a, a broken record. Just can't saying it like that wrong angle, not close enough. You know, it's just like, I'm just shaking my head at it. And I didn't have a vested interest. I didn't care who won the race, but I could see these moves and I was getting frustrated on behalf of everyone that was cheering for him and, or, or everyone that was on his team or associated to it. And in that, in that one pass, particularly it's, it's bad timing because of what's next. And if it, if it was just a bull corner and you go in there and you miss and you don't get the pass done, okay, so what? But the problem is, is those whoops that were after it, you need momentum entering those whoops to carry you all the way down the next straightaway. And if you don't have momentum entering, you lose, I don't know, two, three seconds because of the miss that you had in the corner before. And that's a very underreported and... I guess under analyzed part of passing is that if you're going to make a move and it's, you know, let's say it's 50, 50, that it's going to work, make sure that this, the section afterwards isn't going to penalize you much worse for missing. And I'll give you another turn that where I would love to see that move attempted and it wouldn't be as brutal for him on the backside of it. Now the corner where I'm trying to think if there was anybody significant that crashed. Uh, Justin Barsha crashed there, I believe, in the main event on the first lap. Maybe first lap, second lap. He crashed there. It was a right-hand corner. It was the corner before the section where both Christian Craig and Chase Sexton crashed. That's that's a good way to identify it. And the reason you would want to make a move there and you would want to get as close as you can to, to Joe in the rhythm section before and make your angle and pivot there is because the next section, if for some reason it didn't work, you still could just jump onto the tabletop and jump off very easily. You could do it in first gear and you wouldn't lose all of that time. You wouldn't be able to execute the jump over the tabletop, which is, which is the ideal line, but you could pull the secondary line and maybe lose half a second, if that, if it didn't work. And it's little things like that where I think as Moseman progresses, he matures and he's in that situation more and more that he's going to make smarter decisions. And and it's stuff like that where you see a guy like Cooper Webb or Ricky Carmichael or these guys that were, you know, all-timers, they know all this. This is inherently built into their racecraft and they would never attempt to pass in a place where it's going to really hinder their lap time and their progress if if it doesn't work out. So it's just one of those things that's I know it's really easy for me to sit here and in Monday morning or in this case Sunday afternoon uh, armchair quarterback the thing 
but I've been watching this sport my whole life and I, you know, I did it maybe not at the level that most men's at right now, but at a fairly high level. And I, I lived through these situations and had to analyze where to make passes and you sit behind somebody. And, and it doesn't matter if it's you're in first and second, or if you're in ninth and 10th, or if you're in 17th and 18th, it's all the same thing. When you're sitting on someone's rear wheel for, for multiple laps and you're trying to find a weakness, you're trying to find the best place to make a move. These are the things you size up. You're constantly, you're, you're, mind is racing, thinking of a way, okay, this is his preferred line. He's going to go inside here, outside there. Where can I get an angle and surprise him? And that's really what you're trying to do is surprise him. So when he's going to take his typical and preferred line that you either disallow that line or basically you, it's kind of the same point. You just show up when he's, when he's least expecting it. And then the move is made and it's just nothing I saw about what most men was doing was accomplishing that, you know, every move was a little bit predictable. He was always a little bit late getting to the apex. And unfortunately in my mind, it cost him a win. Not only that, he fell into the the grips of Jet Lawrence and then jumps off the track. They, they those two really don't like each other, by the way, Michael Mosman and, and Jet Lawrence. And yeah, it cost himself not only a potential win, but he also cost himself a podium. So it's like the worst Worst case scenario, you know, avoiding injury, blah, blah, blah. Um, Had to qualify it, but it just went uh, about as poorly as it could possibly go. When everything was looking like, in my opinion, he had a win set up and waiting for him and everything was ready for him to get around Shimoda and kind of have it easy. I don't think Shimoda would have been able to fight back too much. I just think Moseman's pace in clean air would have been a little bit too much for Joe to, to respond to and... Yeah, again, he ends up off the podium. One other rider I wanted to mention was Thomas Doe. He gets seventh place. He gets second place in his heat. And speaking of him, Pirelli Tires, he is a Pirelli Tire rider. And, you know, without guys like Mitchell Oldenburg and Mitchell Harrison, who will be there uh, next weekend, he's kind of, he was the uh, the top soldier for Pirelli Tires this weekend. So great job from him. He looked great all day. Um, I even was commenting in the press box earlier in the day about how nice his bike looked and how good he seemed to adapt to all the conditions that Salt Lake had to, has to bring elevation. It has this weird soil, uh, that's, you know, kind of typical for that area, but it's, it's different. If you've never been there, which I do not believe Thomas Doe has, it's, it's a challenge to get used to. Also don't forget with Pirelli tires, they have the new range of Scorpion MX-32 mid-soft for mini bikes. So a pretty aggressive pattern there. It's going to really help your 65 or 85 uh, get get a good start. And that's what I used on uh, my 450 for Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. And that's the simple reason I used it was for straight line drive on the start. So if you're thinking Loretta's, like all the qualifiers are coming up, regional qualifiers, Loretta's itself. Grab that uh, that MX-32 mid-soft rear and grab a good start. And that's going to help your qualifying chances. And certainly at Loretta Lens 2, we know how deep that start is at Loretta's. And that's all about, it's just propelling you forward, right? Uh, you have pretty tall knobs with pretty big gaps. And that's what gets good starts. Palm Creek Funding. Mentioned this last week, but the Fed has come out and said they are not raising interest rates until 2022. The U.S. needs 4 million more homes to catch up to demand. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. So what does that mean for you? That means that you have a great opportunity to maybe sell your house and rebuy something else. Maybe you've been eyeing up a house across town. Maybe you want to get out of the city. That's what everybody else is doing. That's what has created 
all this demand, a combination of low interest rates and lots of people being able to work remotely. And they just want to get out of the city, you know, COVID and traffic and, and all these things are creating a perfect storm of people moving to suburbia. And that's putting a real uh, crunch on housing demand. So for you, if you have a house, maybe you don't want to move, right? You have your you have your house and you're comfortable there already. Take this opportunity to go refinance your house because what I believe and what I've read and what I've learned, once rates go back up, and that's probably going to begin in 2022, that's my guess. Let's hope anyway, right? If the if the Federal Reserve has to make moves in 2021, that's bad. That that signals that inflation is here and they are responding quickly to negate inflation. We, we don't want that. We do not want on any level, we do not want rates to be already moving up in 2021. 2022 would be somewhat on course for what the Federal Reserve has a plan for. And that means that their calculations of inflation and, and uh, the recovery that they're hoping for on an unemployment rate and a true uh, a true unemployment recovery rate. Not, not, it's not always the numbers you see. They use, uh, several different calculations to get a, a real number that they trust. Um, so let's just hope that continues. And that gives you more time to get a refinance at this really low rate. And the point I was making is that once rates go up over the next few years, and I, I think they will continually rise. I think you'll see a tapering, uh, by the fed of their, their bond purchases, uh, over the next year. And then you're going to see rates start to rise and continue to rise into 22, 23, and 24 until we get back into that, you know, four or 5% rate. And let's hope that's all it takes. Uh, if inflation gets really out of control, we could, we could see those rates really pump up and, and we do not want that. Uh, you look back at the 1980s and some of the things, 70s and 80s, prices were skyrocketing, mortgage rates skyrocketed. That's all really uh, a really negative catalyst for the economy. So Anyway, check out Plum Creek Funding. They can help you get refi. They can help you with a new home purchase. Zach Morris is who you want to talk to. His cell phone is 720-212-4685. Guts Racing. Jason Anderson, who we're getting to, he runs Guts Racing. Dean Wilson, he runs Guts Racing. They are the official seat cover and graphics sponsor of Rockstar Husqvarna. The cool thing is that they can make you, they can make you exactly what you want. They can make you a custom seat cover. They can make you custom graphics. They can make your bike look just how you draw it up. Maybe you own a small business. Maybe you want to promote your small business on your graphics. I see that all the time. That's a really popular avenue to go. I should get industry seating graphics for my 2021 Works Edition Honda that Chris Kiefer supplied me with. I should get custom graphics for that. Maybe I'll do that. I, uh, I will have that bike in the coming days. It's in Salt Lake right now, so it's on the way. But check out Guts Racing to get your custom seat cover and graphics made up and dialed in. Fast Foundry, check those guys out for your small, medium, or large size business. Automation, efficiency, all the things that we need to be very concerned about during COVID and and beyond. Fast Foundry can help. Robert Carrico, he's actually going to go to the finale in Salt Lake 2. So that'll be cool. Uh, I haven't seen him around all that much this year just because of COVID. But great company, and they are helping businesses worldwide. Everybody from, you know, startups to Fortune 500 companies. They can create digital events. They can uh, make your company get into. Uh, I don't say make your company. That sounds terrible. But they can really improve your company's efficiency, and 
yeah, help you take the next step or whatever your goals may be. Works Connection, use the promo code JT21 at checkout to save yourself some money. I recommend that Pro Launch Start device. If you notice, Ken Roxon got another whole shot. You know what he uses? Pro Launch Start device. That's right. Check out worksconnection.com and at worksconnection on Instagram. Blenzol Oils, they have that new Ultra TPI. They have a brand new catalog that just came out as well. So check out Blenzol Oils. Making a big push, sponsoring everybody from Michael Lessie to uh, Hunter Schlosser that was in the uh, the main event last night as well. They, he is a, uh, Blenzol is a big part of Hunter's program. And he's kind of had a breakout season. You know, I didn't know much about him going into this year, but he's done really well and made a name for himself in uh, Monster Energy Supercross. Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia. Check them out if you're doing any sort of restoration. Maybe you're just maybe you're just tearing your bike apart and you want to make it look all Sano. As I mentioned, for Loretta's, that stuff's all coming up and you want to get your race bike dialed in. Contact Premier Vapor Blasting and get it looking brand new. If you mention the podcast, you will get a 25% discount from Premier Vapor Blasting. Check out their Instagram too, at Premier Vapor Blasting. That's, that's really where you're going to get the best idea of their work. Pro Glow Wash, I will have the question of the week coming up, uh, let's say the midway point of um, the power rankings. Their, their promo code is MOTO15, and check out Pro Glow Wash for all your bike wash needs. Grandstone Boots, it's what I wear. I have, uh, they're right by my front door. I walked in last night at about 11.30 p.m., and I'm like, oh, there's my boots. Because um, it was the last time I wore them, it was raining. I had them sit there, and, and they're a nice reminder of the great product that Grandstone makes. Check those things out. Uh, highly recommend. I have several pair. They've been really good to me over the years, and I could not recommend them anymore. 612 suspension. If you have any sort of power sports product, you have street bike, dirt bike, side by side. You know, I, I throw these out there every week, but it, you know, I, I think there are so many items that you really take for granted that their performance could be improved by 612 suspension. You know, we've seen an explosion in the power sports industry over the past. I'm going to say at least 12 months, maybe going on 13 months now. And 612 suspension can help you make sure that everything's dialed, right? There's so many people in the northern part of the country that are just thawing out. If you're in Minnesota, if you're in New York, if you're in Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, parts of Pennsylvania, right? They were just getting snow. Like It's still cold in a lot of these areas, Washington State, Montana, even Idaho, right? We're just getting back into riding season and you need to get your bike dialed in. So reach out to 612 Suspension, ask for Ronnie. You can go to at 612 Suspension on their Instagram as well and get your get your oil changed. They are a race tech affiliate. So you know you're getting quality parts and service when you work with 612 Suspension. Last but not least, Fly Racing. The new Kinetic Mesh is out now. Go to flyracing.com, visit your local dealer to pick it up. And you can check out at Fly Racing USA on Instagram and Facebook for more information there as well. So for the power rankings. Let's do this. Number 10, Dylan Ferrandis. And I'm just going to, before I get to an end of Dylan, I struggled with these this week. Normally I just rip them right off. Like no problem, nail them down, making my notes, moving on. This week was tough because the results were all over the place. You had guys at the front of the pack that aren't, that haven't been up there in a while. And it was, it was just a shuffling uh, so I, I made a few revisions and then I was like, no, he didn't deserve to be that far back. Let's move him up. And then I had to reposition other people. So this one was a, a bit of a challenge for me this week, but I have Ferrandis at 10 
And it's not necessarily based off of this week's ride alone. He's just really been all over the map. He's had crashes and bad starts, and he's really had a hard time finding consistency in this season. But his talent is undeniable, and his speed is undeniable. He just needs to put the rest of the pieces of this puzzle together. He needs to, When he gets a good start, he needs to capitalize on it, and he needs to lessen the severity of his bad starts, and he needs to really figure out his first few laps of the race. That That's what I believe to be the most critical uh, missing link of the of the chain anyway. So number 10, Dylan Ferrandez. Justin Barsha is number nine. What a horrific day in Salt Lake. He had just crashes, crashes in the heat, wins the LCQ, which of course he, he should, uh, then crashes in the main event at least once, maybe twice. Uh, yeah, twice, I think. Just nothing was going right for Barsha. And this has been the theme for him in Salt Lake. He had a really rough go. Last year in Salt Lake City too, so we, sh- I, I expected more, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised for him to struggle in these conditions. Hopefully, he can uh, rebound at Salt Lake too and end this series on a good note because I think he's had a good series. He, you know, he was your points leader for several rounds early in the year, and the question was, could he maintain that elite level? And it just seems like he hasn't been able to. Uh, not that it's been bad. But at the same time, he hasn't been winning races like he was early in the season either. So for his, you know, I think for for the benefit of him feeling good about the year, I would just like to see him leave on a positive note. That doesn't mean he has to be on the podium, but, you know, a top five, something that he can smile about and say, okay, that was good. You know, I had a good year. I won races again, which not many people get to say that. Had tons of podiums and yeah, ended it on a uh, on an up note. Number eight, I have Chase Sexton, and I believe that Chase Sexton was lucky to even be riding. Honestly, he had a huge crash. I thought it was worse than Christian Craig's, and if you had to ask me, or had you asked me yesterday afternoon, who was more likely to be able to ride here, Sexton or Craig, I would have said that Craig was more likely. Just watching the crash, watching him get up, Sexton didn't seem like he was in any possible way able to ride. I thought he had something broken. His knee was blown out. Like something severe is what I really believe for Chase Sexton. And then he goes out there and he's killing it. Like he's riding really well the rest of the night. So kudos to him. Nice job rebounding. Very lucky that he's not more injured than he was. Uh, but yeah, that's part of it. There's a lot of luck that goes into, into racing dirt bikes. So I have Sexton at eight. And, you know, his last two rounds haven't been ideal, but the two before that were both second places. So a little bit of a mixed bag here lately for Sexton, but thankfully he is still healthy because I I think he brings a lot to the series and I think he'll bring a lot to Lucas Oil Pro Motocross as well. Malcolm Stewart is seven. And what more can you say? Third place, incredible ride. The only podium of the year for Mookie. And he earned it, man. He rode incredibly well. He was challenging Cooper Webb there for a while. I thought he was going to get Cooper for a bit. I, I wondered if the fitness would be there at the end to challenge Cooper. And, and it turned out it wasn't, which is fine. It's it's probably what we expect. Not that he dropped off, but at the same time, we know Cooper is at the upper echelon of uh, finishing these races. So he dropped back just a tiny bit. He wasn't able to go up and challenge for the win with Webb, but to be able to ride away from everyone else really says a lot about the work behind the scenes that Mookie's been putting in. 
And yeah, he used his strength, which is the whoops. He used it to his advantage and he made up time there each and every lap, but that's what you do. You, you highlight your attributes, right? You take advantage of the things you're really good at. And then you try to minimize the areas that you're not so good at. And, you know, it's been starts and, uh, I I don't really know that Mookie has significant weaknesses, but fitness has always been iffy, not, not bad. It's been pretty good the last year or two, but that would be one where you're wondering about. And then the starts have always been kind of dicey, but he was able to get a decent start. He looks strong at the end at altitude, no less. And then the whoops are kind of always his thing. So good job from him. I think everybody left there happy for, for Malcolm Stewart. That was, that was a nice thing to see. Marvin Muscan at number six, he won the damn race. I, I mean, what an impressive effort from Marvin. You know, he's taken a lot of heat. Guys like Ryan Hughes have been all over him. He's had a tough, a tough time lately. He's had a lot of crashes this year. He's been a very frustrating member of my fantasy team at times. I did not pick him last night, which I should have. Clearly, I should have. But I didn't pick him simply because his results haven't been that impressive for what I know Marvin's capable of. Well, he took all that and crumpled it up and threw it in the dumpster and went out and won the race. And not only that, he was reeling Ken Roxon in at the halfway point, which I would have never assumed Marvin to be doing. And when the way I kind of saw this playing out, I thought Kenny was going to get away and go make good on what I think he had coming in Atlanta three. I thought Marvin would be iffy to hold on to second. I thought that Webb would make a charge late. I didn't know if Tomac would get in there as well. I thought Jason Anderson would have much more, but I really thought that Marvin would be the one that would be vulnerable to a late race charge from that crew. That's just kind of how I, I saw it playing out. That didn't happen at all. Marvin moved forward chase down to, uh, Roxon, put pressure on Roxon, which forced Kenny into a mistake. Kenny goes down and then Marvin's able to hold strong at the end, which we have not seen really anyone able to do, you know, Tomax won races. I guess that's a different conversation, but typically if you see Cooper Webb on your, your rear tire going into the last couple laps, you're in big trouble. And, and Marvin was able to fight him off. And the question I have there is, you know, Marvin and Cooper Webb and Zach Osborne spend months and months and months riding together, you know, during boot camp and most times during the season, everybody's healthy. They ride together every day, every moto, every sprint, all the time they're riding together. Now, my question is, did that help Marvin both on a pressure level and also a gamesmanship level where he's been in that situation so many times with Webb and Osborne, and obviously in this instance, Webb, that he knew where Cooper likes to make moves and how Cooper works through those dynamics. Now it's an unanswerable question, but it was something I was thinking about this morning is, you know, Marvin has so many more, has had so many more opportunities to play that out and see Webb ride and see him practice and know him on a much more personal level than a guy like Kenny would or anybody else really that would be in that battle. So I don't know if that helped or hurt. I do know that Marvin got it done and he should be commended, uh, you know, highly for that. Great job from Muscan. Uh, and, and Marv's a likable guy. So I think many people are happy to see him win. Aaron Plessinger, I have at five, not a great race from AP. In my opinion, uh, he couldn't catch Jason Anderson there at the end. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great either. 
I have heard uh, unconfirmed that he is going to be on Red Bull KTM next year. I, I heard he signed that contract and is headed that direction. I believe that's the right move for him. I think that program is arguably the best in, uh, you know, supercross and motocross right now. So I, I think that's the right decision for him to make. If that, if it's on the table, not many people get offered that ride and on that equipment on that program, which is just look at the results and see how successful it is. So good for AP. Um, I just didn't think that was his best night of racing, uh, last night either, but maybe he bounces back at, at Salt Lake too. We'll see. Uh, he has certainly been impressive over the last month or two. I have Jason Anderson at four and he is a guy that I moved up and down. I had him uh, further back. Then I'm like, no, I'm not going to judge him too harshly because apparently he had some altitude sickness. And I think he would have been much better in other circumstances. Because for me, that was kind of a head-scratching ride. If we've seen anything from Anderson lately, he's been moving forward. He hasn't been getting tired. His his speed has been at the very top level, you know, at the elite level of the class. And he just didn't have it. So... The altitude sickness would certainly match what I saw on the racetrack. I chalked it up to arm pump. I just thought he pumped up and couldn't hold the pace, but altitude sickness would really look the same, right? If you're just not feeling hundred uh, percent, I've never had altitude sickness, but I'm assuming that's kind of what it would look like. I guess I'm making some assumptions there that I shouldn't, um, but I could certainly understand that explanation and yeah, it, it would make sense, right? Arm pump would be the only other alternative that I could see because he wasn't making, he wasn't acting like there was something wrong with the bike or settings or anything. He just didn't have the intensity that he would normally be showing there. And he wasn't really putting up a fight. When people would go to pass him, he wasn't really doing anything about it. And that's not Jason Anderson's style at all, which would indicate something was up. Uh, in that situation, if he's running around third and fourth and, and he's in a battle, He's going to get really aggressive on the borderline of dirty to hold those positions. And he, and he just wasn't doing that. Uh, like I said, so that was the telltale sign for me that something was wrong. Now your top three are going to look eerily similar. And that's because I believe they deserve to still be there. Eli Tomac, tough night, two crashes. Really haven't seen that from him very often. He doesn't crash. He doesn't crash much to start with, but let alone two crashes in a main event. Maybe he was trying a little bit too hard. You know, I, I'm sure he had really high expectations for Salt Lake. You know, he's incredibly fast in practice. He wins the heat race. I'm sure he expected to win the main. And when things start unraveling, maybe he just started trying too hard there to uh, to make something happen that just wasn't there. It just wasn't going to work out, especially after the first crash. And I think he was just taking too many chances on the back side of that. And thankfully, the second crash was pretty big. He crashed uh, in the rhythm section that claimed Sexton and Christian Craig a little bit further down, but still in a pretty big rhythm section. He lands on a, on a tough block there, and thankfully he's okay. Number two, Ken Roxon. <sighs> to me, this is the season of lost opportunity. You just look at the races where things have just, just come apart late. You go back to Houston, the race where Dino gets in the way and he loses the race on the last lap. The other Houston race where he's penalized, he loses four points because he jumped on yellow flag that Dylan Ferrandez caused. I have my own opinion of that penalty. It's In the end, it's not going to matter. Uh, the races that he, he was passed late by Cooper Webb, you know, we, we've talked about that's happened time and time again where Webb has just out-dueled him. Then you go to Atlanta. He crashes while he's in the lead. You go to Salt Lake 1. He crashes while he's in the lead. 
there have just been so many times where it's right in front of Kenny to get it done and he's unable he's unable to do it. He's just I don't know if it's a mental block at this point. That's what I would lean towards. But it's it's got to be frustrating. You know, I don't I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't have a vested interest. You know, I like to add that disclaimer in there because there's so much bias in the sport, right? Every argument seems like it has a a reason for bias and I I really don't have one. I'm just kind of reporting on what my eyes are telling me. And it just seems like Roxon has something going on mentally that's holding him back right now. Number one, it's pretty obvious. Cooper Webb, who will be your 2021 Monster Energy Supercross Championship this coming Saturday. And it'll be interesting to see a guy like uh, you know Webb or Colt Nichols or Justin Cooper. My personal opinion, I wouldn't be riding at all this week. Uh, I would do some starts. If you were going to ride at all, I would do some corner practice. And I mean like slow figure eights. Nothing that is going to risk injury with that much money on the line and everything to lose by a stupid crash, right? Because the, the temptation would be to go start practicing outdoors, right? You have this championship locked up, like let's get in a week of outdoor practice and really try to, uh, put ourselves in a good position because that's what everybody else is going to be doing. Everybody else, in my opinion, but the championship guys are going to be riding outdoors all week. And that's going to be a full week that a guy like Webb or Nichols or Justin Cooper could lose to their competition if they go the safe route. But I'm just telling you for me, that's worth it. I would not risk anything. I would do a ton of starts. I would burn up a couple clutches just to keep your timing and the familiarity on the bike. So you're not rusty when you show up to Salt Lake, but there is absolutely no way I would risk going out and going to Paula on Tuesday or Glen Helen on Thursday. And, and, there's, there's risk involved with those practice days. Now it's, it's an assumed risk that everybody takes in, you know, an everyday situation, but not when you have half a million dollars on the line for the 250 guys. And I don't know, 1.5 million on the line for 450 class plus legacy building or career defining championships. No, thanks. I would be chilling. I'll ride my bicycle in the house, you know? And the other thing, uh, uh, one of the trainers that'll go unnamed, I was talking to yesterday, they have to always be conscious of COVID too. You know, one positive COVID test going into next weekend, which, you know, they'll probably test Thursday or Friday when they arrive. They test positive on Thursday or Friday. The championship's gone. Poof. It's over, right? So not only do you not want to practice this week, you really don't want to go into public. You know, I, I would either be in my house or I would be at the practice track doing starts with no stops in between. I wouldn't go into a grocery store. I wouldn't go into a restaurant. I wouldn't go anywhere. And and that's coming from me who I am not, I don't fear COVID. If I get it, I get it. I don't want it, but I know that it's just part of life right now, right? If you want to live your life in any normal semblance, it's a risk that you have to take. But even for me this week, no thanks. I'm on full lockdown. Uh, I will have food at my house and it will be all scrubbed down, which I know you really don't catch it that way anymore, but there would be absolutely zero chances taken of injury or COVID or anything going on this week. And I would just want, you know, cause the championship's over for these guys, right? All they have to do is not have catastrophe strike and it's over. Uh, so it'd be curious to see. So I'm going to watch these guys, Instagrams this week, see if they actually are practicing. I would bet they're not. The only question is, man, I don't think Alden Baker likes to lay up much. You know, he's got Lucas Oil Pro Motocross coming. They all know it. I don't think Alden Baker really 
takes the or approaches these series in an overcautious fashion. I think he just trusts the process. So I don't know, man. I, I could see the 250 guys laying low and just letting this title come to him and don't take any chances. But I will be surprised if Webb isn't out there having to uh, having to put some motos in on the outdoors. And maybe maybe they're willing to take a small risk, right? You basically just go to Webb and say, "Hey, dude, we're gonna ride this week. You're gonna ride some outdoors, but I don't want I don't want 100. percent I don't want you." in full motocross prep mode. I want you riding at like 75% and just get some laps in and get a little bit more feeling for outdoors and, and continue that transition process to motocross, but don't do anything stupid. If anything is going wrong, you feel a little bit uncomfortable coming down a straightaway towards the jump, hit the brakes. It's okay. Like it's fine. Uh, so it'll just be interesting to see their approach. It could be any mix of those things, but I'm just telling you from my perspective, not a chance I'm on my dirt bike this week. Well, that's not true. I would I would do starts. I would because the risk is is acceptable there. Uh, but I, I certainly wouldn't be in full motocross mode, which is going to be the norm. If you scan the field this week, their social media, you're going to see lots of motocross practice. Not for me. Not if I'm uh, not if I'm about to win the title. No thanks. I will save it for for next week. Right? Come home from Salt Lake probably have a thousand drinks on Saturday night after you win your title, sober up, get over your hangover on Sunday, fly home Monday. And then yeah, let the games begin. Now it's, it's time to get to work for motocross, but not until then. Now our pro glow question of the week comes from Dr. Papa on Instagram. He says, Hey JT, you mentioned a little bit about port issues, delaying gear releases. Could you dive a little deeper on the phenomenon we are seeing, which bike gear parts, etc." And everything power sports seems to be either out of stock or on back order. Is it a transportation issue? Is it decreased manpower at the factories, limited material availability to fabricate the stuff? Or is it the power sports boom created by COVID or all the above? So you hit on several aspects that have caused several issues in the supply chain. First was COVID, right? And, and when COVID hit, we all know that it hit Asia first, China primarily, and a lot of brands are getting away from China just because there's so many geopolitical pressures, tariffs, tensions, and we just don't know how stable China will be moving forward. For us, as a uh, as a business partner with any companies that are based there, so we've really been trying to move away from them. We we still do have a couple of things we rely on from there, but I don't see that being the case moving forward. So that's part of it. They got COVID first, which really set off uh, a chain reaction. Uh, they were away from their factories. Production really slowed down, which caused a backlog all the way down the line, right? And it, and it doesn't just affect us, right? Because if you think about it, maybe our production wasn't for months afterwards. Well, they got COVID before we did, right around the beginning of the year. Their factory shut down. Well, all the things that were ahead of us, they stopped too. So when they cranked back up, when they got back up and going and start building products again, all those things had to be built first before our stuff. So it just pushed everything later. And we saw that, we saw that really play out. Things were arriving late. Um, and in some cases they just basically said, Hey, we can't fill it. We don't have enough. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough time. And we're so far behind that we're having to lower, uh, some of our, some of the orders just to try or else we'll never get caught up, right? They build their production schedule year round. So they were lowering their deliverables so they could get caught back up. So that was part of it. Uh, the stuff with the ports is 
<laughs> the opposite of that, where everything ramped back up crazy. Like we saw this complete shutdown and then to catch up with that, the demand, you know, all these people had saved all this money. And then when the world reopened, everybody started spending all that money and that caused this huge surge in demand. So for fly racing and Western power sports, we were no different. And all these companies associated with power sports, the car industry, all these things shot through the roof as far as demand. Well, that ramped up all their purchases, which caused many more shipping containers to be in need, many more boats to be used. And that just backlogged everything at the ports. And it just went way past what they were able to service. There's too many ships, too many containers, not enough people. And you just have this huge traffic jam at the port. And that's slowly fixing itself. It has gotten a little bit better from what I have been told from our logistics team, but it has been a huge problem. That that was from going from zero to a hundred. And there's all that pent up demand being unloaded on on commerce and all of those uh, items being delivered from Asia and from around the world all at once. Ports weren't able to keep up with that, right? They're, they're, they have a level that they're able to sustain and what they've always expected to happen and they, and to be able to tool up and get enough staff. And there's just not enough space period. Even if you have enough staff to uh, get all those containers through the port and onto trucks, you know, they were running out of every step of the process. That's the, that's really the thing that I'm trying to get to is there weren't enough containers to fill all the products. Then there weren't enough trucks to put the containers on. Then there weren't enough people to drive the trucks to get those. Like it was just every aspect of the supply chain was lacking because it went way down to a level that it hadn't seen been that low in decades. And then it ramped up to two or three X of that rate all at once. And no one was prepared for that. So it's caused a, a ton of issues. Now, on the power sports side specifically, that was certainly a COVID byproduct because, you know, all these these families that are used to going to soccer fields and baseball fields and football fields, well, they couldn't do any of that. You know, all that was closed. Basketball courts were closed. Not only that, all the schools are closed, right? So these parents are now becoming teachers as well as they have to find things for their kids to do because they're recreational sports. They can't do that either. So I think parents were just pulling their hair out, trying to figure out what to do with their children. So power sports were a, a really nice escape for them. They could take them out. You know, maybe dirt bikes weren't their thing. There's a lot of people that don't, don't even know that you can race dirt bikes for a living. But side-by-sides, ATVs, all those things were a great answer. They were family activities that were out in nature. They weren't around a bunch of people. So their COVID concerns were eradicated. It was right around that springtime that's so critical right around now, right? March and April is when COVID really hit. That's when a lot of the country opens up. Things thaw out. People want to get outside. People go camping. They go riding their dirt bikes again. So it was a perfect storm of timing there too. And yeah, power sports has really been a a benefactor of that. And it doesn't matter what brand you're in, what discipline you're in. I've seen an across the board boom for everybody. Apparel, OEMs, uh, you know, dealerships on a service level, on a sales level. I mean, every aspect of power sports, watercraft, it doesn't matter. Everybody's seen a huge uptick and it it was sorely needed. Uh, the, The industry's been beaten down for a really long time. So even though COVID is a horrible thing, it's brought death and destruction and despair and so many negative things to people's lives, 
there was a silver lining for power sports that, uh, yeah, that COVID was the 100% catalyst for. So to find any positive that happened from loss of life and loss of employment, negative things, uh, yeah, people that I, you know, dealerships that I, I didn't think were going to make it right. They were destined to go out of business. They had a great year. They actually made a ton of money in 2020 and they're, they're carrying right into 2021. So there has been a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, you know, obviously vaccines and things are helping. Uh, let's just hope that people stick around. They continue riding their dirt bikes. They continue going camping on the weekends with their side-by-sides. They're going into dealerships during the week and spending, spending money because a lot of that had dried up and dealerships were really suffering. So thank you, uh, Dr. Papa, for that question. It's, it's one I deal with every single day. And we are, we're in a place now where we're trying to project where this is going. You know, we don't have a crystal ball, but we try to try to educate ourselves and stay on the, the leading edge of information. And so we can make smart decisions because we have to forecast this stuff. We have to decide how much to buy and can we continue to see this demand? You know, are we going to, we going to revert back to pre COVID levels of sales and demand? You know, those are unanswerable questions, but ones we are faced with and, and we have to try to get them as accurate as possible. It's not, not always easy, uh, but information truly is power in those situations. So uh, we will be reaching out to you with uh, your Pro Glow uh, prize pack of the week. Thank you to them. And that's it for this week. That's, that's it for the podcast. Thank you to all the sponsors. Please go out and support them. Use the promo codes that are available. And we'll see. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to Salt Lake or not. Find out this week. I may be going to Mexico, but either way, I'll be doing uh, the Patreon podcast on Saturday morning. Check that out, patreon.com slash industry seating. It's a little preview of the race to come. It's every race day morning throughout the season for both Supercross and Motocross. And then I'll, uh, if, if I'm at the race, I'll be doing the uh, industry seating podcast from my house. And if I'm in Mexico, I'll be live from Mexico. So we'll see. Thanks, everybody. And we'll, uh, one way or another, America or Mexico. We'll be talking to you in a few days. See ya.